you know, I think a lot of people is sort of their default way to understand what's going on at Smurfit Stone is that they think if it was that bad, someone would have done something about it. And I think that's sort of how they look at it. And unfortunately, that is not true. You know, that someone is not doing anything. <laughs> so that someone needs to turn around and be you. Welcome back to Toxic, the mess at Smurfit Stone. We're here, our final episode of our three-part series, and what a journey it's been. In our first episode, we explored the history of the Smurfit Mill site. In our second episode, we dove into the science. And in this episode, we talk solutions. What can we, Missoulians, Montanans, and concerned citizens be doing to help move this cleanup forward? Let's start where we left off, holding the potential responsible party's feet to the fire. Here's Missoula County Commissioner, Josh Slotnick. Our contention is because of the patchwork nature of the dump, that in some places there's 50 gallon drums of nastiness and other places there aren't, and some of them aren't leaking yet, so they're not in the groundwater, how are we actually gonna come up with an accurate understanding of what's in this space, this 160 acre space that abuts the river? So this is a point of contention. The EPA so far has been great. They're like, okay, we'll drill another well. We'll do another test well. We'll do another test well. And some folks are saying, you know, test wells aren't the answer. We need to just clean out the whole thing. 160 acres down to 10 feet, scrape it clean and haul that crap away. Well, the EPA is in a little bit of a difficult spot where they, and I'm, I don't want to put words in their mouth, they're not quite ready yet to tell the principally responsible parties, we need you to do that. Because they have to be able to back up that order with data, risk, and, and what the community wants. And they're right now in process. And a whole lot of us, me included, would love to see that done. But the EPA is not going to give them that order unless they have enough sense of risk, enough data that the chemicals are there, and enough push from the community. Because it, let's say they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we think you're right, and they order the principally responsible parties to do this. And we're talking in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So the principal responsible parties are going to have legions of lawyers who are going to be, hmm, wait a minute, we don't think this amount of data, this amount of risk, and this amount of community squawking equals 100 million bucks. We're going we're gonna to go to court here and fight on this because we'll spend $10 million in court and still save money. So the EPA has to, be, has to make orders that are defensible. And so far, they've showed to me integrity in that they want to do this, right? And they're still working on it. And there are a lot of people, I'm one of them, we're kind of holding our breath. But at the moment, I have not yet given up faith. When I talked to Josh about the project, it sounded Herculean. Lots of steps, lots of bureaucracy. You'll remember John, the science director, at the Clark Fork Coalition. We met him last episode as he helped us unpack the binders of reports and countless rows of Excel data regarding the science at the site. Here he is again with a refreshing take on the site. It doesn't have to be complicated. You know, where we are 10 years after the site closed, we, we don't think they've made that kind of progress. We haven't seen that kind of commitment. Um, so we wanna, see, we wanna see things change for the second decade, decade so we aren't still here 20 years after the closure, right. having these same conversations. And there's a real danger of it because we look around even the rest of Western Montana, we look at Anaconda and Butte and how long it's taken up there. Some of those sites are really complicated. So uh, you know that excuses it a little bit, but not 20 or 30 years worth of excuses. And, and the thing at Smurfit is it's just not that complicated, right? It's not Butte. There aren't 10,000 miles of tunnels under the city it's some waste dumps, it's some contaminated floodplain, it's a berm. 
shouldn't be there that isn't engineered to protect the site that's going to fail eventually you know it's it's scientifically and kind of simple it's it's sort of a common sense sort of place yeah let's apply some common sense out there conduct an investigation and and, and do what's right and and have the agencies hold the prps to their obligations under the administrative order they signed and the acknowledgments they made in it then when i talked with rebecca from the viewpoint of legal to no fault of her own the project became complicated again you know i think any concerned citizen any rational thinking person would say that and the problem is that there is a couple bad um, court decisions out there that basically say that as soon as the government and the owners of the facility make this promise to investigate, which is what is called the remedial investigation feasibility study, as long as they commit to that promise to doing that, then no one can file a lawsuit under RICRA. RICRA, that's the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act. What RICRA says is basically that if a facility is storing hazardous waste for over 90 days, it's considered to be operating a storage facility. And at that point, you need a permit for the storage facility, which then, of course, all these standards apply to how you would store hazardous waste safely. Um, So some of the things, um, there's similar requirements to if a facility closes, it either has to have what's called a closure plan or it has to have a post-closure permit. And in either one of those permitting processes, that's when you put in all these conditions that that this thing has to be done safely. And so especially for when you have a hazardous waste landfill that's being closed, there's some really strict requirements. Um, You have to have this written closure plan or this written post-closure permit and it requires really specific um, detailed monitoring of groundwater, but also collection of leachate. So it's not really supposed to be leaching anything once it's closed. We ended episode two with a David versus Goliath comparison here. Rebecca speaks more about that. You know, everybody has to do something about it. They have to mount this public pressure campaign or the government will not do anything to clean it up. And that's just sort of the sad fact. And I think people just don't really know the full extent of what's going on out there. They don't know it's been an unlined, leaking, hazardous waste storage disposal facility forever. (laughs) They don't know that it was abandoned in 2010, you know, in this bankruptcy, after bankruptcy, you know, that it was shut down and that there was never a post-closure plan. Uh, it's crazy. I mean, when you when you look at the details of the types of hazardous waste, the fact that the pits are unlined and leaching, that no one's even disputing that. Um, when you get really into the facts, I think it's pretty shocking. And I think that people just don't really know the full extent of what's going on out there and what's not going on out there. That's what we're hoping to change with this podcast and additional outreach. So let's transition into solutions. When starting this project, the Milltown Dam continued to come up in conversation. I needed a history lesson, both on the Milltown Dam, but also what exactly Superfund is. For that, I turned to Peter Nielsen, former Water Quality District Supervisor of 26 years, right here in Missoula County. The other thing about Superfund at the federal level is it allows the government to reach back in history to prior owners and deal with them through their acquired liability. 
So it's sort of like the Anaconda Copper Company is a good example of this. Anaconda Copper Company is a big mining company. They come in and, uh, and they mine in, in the upper Clark Fork for years. And then they sell to an oil company, Atlantic Richfield. And the Atlantic Richfield Company then uh, becomes the owner of this land and it becomes a federal Superfund site. Well, they say, well, we didn't put it there. It's not our fault. Yeah, but you acquired the company that did. And when you acquire a company, you acquire both sides of the balance sheet. You acquire the good and the bad. You acquire the assets. You acquire the liabilities. And this is a liability you acquired. And, of course, ARCO ended up spending hundreds of millions of dollars up there, much to our benefit. But without federal Superfund law, that wouldn't have happened because our state law doesn't have the same teeth, doesn't have the same ability to go back and especially because our legislature in its wisdom has created a loophole in the law for facilities that were previously regulated by the state. When you have a lot of money, you can pay a lot of lawyers to figure out all the loopholes for you. And that is, you know, instead of that money being spent on cleanup, it is being spent on finding loopholes to avoid cleanup as much as possible. Superfund. Pretty complicated. We need a success story. John, help us out. Um, you know, probably the most obvious one I would point to, I I can't take personal credit for it because I wasn't at the Clark Fork Coalition at the time, but I point to the Milltown Dam removal, you know, in, in Missoula that the Clark Fork Coalition and, and partners helped facilitate. Um, I was in Missoula when that effort got started and uh, was a consultant at the time, you know, and it seemed sort of pie in the sky, you know, I mean, Milltown Dam's been there for a century or so, and really we're going to remove a dam on the in the reservoir, that seems right. like that could never happen. Here is the executive director for the Clarkport Coalition, Karen Knutson. The Milltown Dam campaign was a multi-decade campaign with several decades taking place before anybody knew that the Clarkport Coalition was advocating for this. It gets right back to that timing thing. Sometimes things take a while to ripen. And even though... Um, Removal of the Milltown Dam was something that the Clark Fork Coalition had begun talking about. I, I've seen newsletter articles in our archives um, specifically addressing that dam has to go. Um, nonetheless, it wasn't talked about publicly at all. Mm. But back then, think about it, back in the 1980s, dam removal was considered fringe, radical. It conjured huh. up notions of the monkey wrench gang and Hey Duke wanting to really? blow up the Grand Canyon Dam. But it turns out in the mid-1980s when the Clark Fork Coalition um, officially formed itself, the Milltown Reservoir had just been designated a federal Superfund site. It's an interesting story. Um, back in 1981, some private residences called up the health department, the local health department, complaining that their water tasted funny. So health department officials came out, tested their wells, and realized, holy smokes, arsenic was off the charts. Whoa. And there was basically um, a periodic table of the elements in that water as well. That's but terrifying. The arsenic was terrifying. Uh, carcinogenic levels. So they took the, um, the residents off wells, started bottling in, or bringing in bottled water, but then became the, became the search, or then began the search for the source 
why was there arsenic at such high levels in this drinking water? Um, they tested the usual suspects. I mean, out in this neighborhood, there were some pulp mill, or there, excuse me, there was the railroads. Um, there was a mill. It was some university professors that decided to sample the reservoir, the Milltown Reser Reservoir, and discovered, oh my gosh, it's the same footprint, the same um, toxic footprint, as, or excuse me, it was the same toxic fingerprint as what the water samples in the, from the wells were showing. So it didn't take too long to figure out that this was all related to the 1908 flood, which was a 100-year event that washed all kinds of mining contamination from Butte into the Clark Fork River, where much of it ended up stacking up behind Milltown Dam. That flood happened just five months after the Milltown Dam's ribbon cutting. Whoa. So, fascinating story, but the, there's just millions of cubic yards of toxic contamination sitting behind that dam, and Nasty. we knew about it back in the 1980s. So, Thanks um, to a phone call from a resident. Right saying, why does my water taste funny? Wow. And strangely, you can't really taste arsenic. So... There were some other things in that water, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, so why did it take us until 2000 before we unleashed a public engagement campaign calling on EPA to remove Milltown Dam? It's a complex site, for sure. I mean, like Smurfit. And there was a lot of studying going on. There was a lot of politics, a lot of education. Um, but again, we felt like things were really stalling out. It was a frustrating time. But this is where Mother Nature actually kicked in. In mm. 1996, we had a really cold spell for a while in February, followed by an abrupt warming spell. And suddenly, this five-mile ice sheet on the Blackfoot broke loose and started cruising downriver at a 10-mile-per-hour clip. Whoa. The operators of the Milltown Dam, and the Milltown Dam at this point is practically 100 years old, they recognize the danger that a five-mile-long ice jam that's moving that fast was just going to make that dam he just look like way. Lincoln Logs. Head their way. Whoa. Yeah. So they made the, the decision to do a drawdown of the water, which broke the Milltown Reservoir ice, um, but it also abruptly dropped the water level so that the five-mile iceberg just grounded out. It just, you know, that hit the brakes right. on the ice jam. There was no contact, no collision, dam stayed intact. But guess what? The ice jam ended up churning up all of the contaminated metals-laced sediment stacked up behind Milltown Dam and flushed it downstream. Well, that just ground that ice jam right down into the sediments and scoured wow. uh, huge quantities of sediment into the river. Well, it wasn't the arsenic that was the problem. It was the copper hmm. because copper is hard on fish. So copper makes their gills plug up, and they can't breathe, and they die. So it turns out that one event killed, as I remember, between 60 and 80% of the trout populations all the way down through Missoula to the Bitterroot River in one fell swoop. So there was this huge fish kill. Oh. And actually, Peter Nielsen was one of the ones on site doing the testing of the water, but the water quality downstream of Milltown Dam was also just off the charts with metals. Huge oh. fish kill. Um, so EPA took note. The very next year, 1997, 
we had just big snowpack that winter and also a big runoff. I think it was a 30-year runoff. Same thing happened. That water came cruising through and churned up a lot of the sediments, carried them downstream. Yet another fish kill, back-to-back fish kills. And at this particular time, I mean, thank you, Mother Nature. It couldn't have been at a timelier, timelier moment because EPA was about to release a plan for Milltown Dam and the reservoir, which was basically, we're going to shore up the dam, we're going to fence off the reservoir, post no trespassing signs, and keep trucking in bottled water to the residents nearby forever. Wow. Cheapo, cheapo cleanup plan. Unbelievable. So we had these two back-to-back incidents, and then EPA hit the pause button, and we thought, this is our moment. We've had the wake-up call from Mother Nature. Then in 1998, um, the federal government listed bull trout as a threatened species on the endangered species list, which also then gave us some legal handles. Yeah. And there was the discovery of voracious northern pike living in the Milltown Reservoir. So suddenly there were a lot of reasons why, oh my goodness, we've got to address this and clean it up. It's not acceptable to just shore up the dam and fence off the reservoir. Um, The final thing was uh, an engineering report came out showing that the dam was unstable and actually slumping and moving downstream. So suddenly Milltown Dam and the reservoir became this huge community liability. I would say. So stars were aligned at that point and we worked closely with Missoula County as our strong and steadfast partner and the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes. We hatched a plan, a vision, um, developed strategy, and then it was go time. That's when the execute like hell kicks in. So we launched this massive public engagement campaign and got people excited about the vision of a free-flowing confluence, and people got into it. Yeah. They ended up, we ended up having 13,000 comment letters written to EPA demanding that the mill come down. Wow. So that was pretty exciting. That apparently is the most comments the EPA has ever received on a on a cleanup site. And that matters. That totally matters. That's what got people excited. It wasn't the fact that for the previous 15, 20 years we had been talking about arsenic in the groundwater affecting Milltown. It was the fact that the copper killed the fish. Wow. Suddenly there was more public comment on this Superfund site than any other Superfund site in the country. Keep the activist momentum going, right? Let's do the same thing at Smurfit. Big success. We're feeling great. We can do the same thing out here. Well, guess what? Everything changed. We had new leadership in Helena. We got a project manager who really was, in my opinion, more interested in apologizing for the company than she was in getting things dealt with out here to our benefit, didn't really listen to us very much. Um, And so things just haven't gone as we had hoped with this Superfund regulation. It's bogged down into a period of study. Milltown did the same thing. It went on for years and years until some big event woke us up again. Uh, I just hope that doesn't have to happen here. I hope we don't have to wait for a catastrophic event before we do something. Uh, yeah. it, 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 it's so unnecessary because we know what's out there. Well, we, don't, we know that there's a large volume of waste. We don't know exactly all everything that's in it. It's a but terrifying we know it sh- mystery. But we know it shouldn't be there. There's no contemporary regulation that would allow them to bury that stuff. 
as it is today, that you can't just go bury industrial waste in the ground, in the groundwater next to the river anymore. That's not how you do it. When you close a place that does that, you should have to clean it up. And, you know, they can, they can do this. They've profited handsomely off of closing this mill and taking our jobs and our tax base out of this community. They could do this for us. And why our state government and why EPA is not pushing harder on this, I don't get it. I just don't get it. So I don't know what's going to trigger <clears throat> that kind of um, groundswell at Smurfit. We haven't seen it. Uh, but in many ways, the threat is, is just as bad as Milltown, if not worse. Peter's passion was crystal clear, and his passion for cleaning this up was stronger than anyone I talked with. But of course, I could sense some frustration. Every interview was so different, local politicians, scientists, activists, and executives. But at the end of each interview, I asked the same question. If someone only has a couple hours to give to this campaign, what should they do? How do we get this cleanup started? Here's Travis Ross, current Water Quality District Supervisor. I mean, we do need, we need to get people talking about this. I mean, we have, we have venues in place. We have, you know, commissioner meetings. We have advisory council meetings. We have, they're all, they're all needed. And we talked early about the different, earlier about the different kind of modes of, of integrating into this process and making that cog move. Um, individual involvement, um, that demonstrates the community's engagement here is is important to help get that get that momentum going um we we need to hear and epa needs to hear the prps need to hear that we're not going away on this we're we're gonna be pushing and our community is 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 pushing we we know there's a problem here it needs to it needs to be addressed. Um, we can't study it away. It, it needs to happen. Let's get this done. Out in French, in the Frenchtown area, there's a group of people called the Community Advisory Group. So one thing about, about uh, Superfund, it's full of acronyms, and I've tried really hard not to, spouting them, not to spout them, not just because I might get them wrong, but uh, because it just, it just alienates people. That's a lot of so there's a, a Community Advisory Group in Frenchtown, and they meet regularly. And if you typed in Community Advisory Group, Smurf at Stone, or somebody sends me an email, I'll send them Jerry's email address, the woman who, who's the, who runs this. They meet regularly and they're super, super engaged and a person could get engaged and they meet regularly and they have presentations by scientists who are involved and the EPA. They are literally attempting to hold the EPA's feet to the fire who right now are working with integrity. I don't feel like they're they're doing a bad job at all. In fact, they're doing a good job. But this community advisory group is deeply engaged and people can get involved with that group and then work towards this. That, that if you're really into this and then the yeah. other one i think is to get a hold of clark fork coalition uh, it's like what could i do and um, they'll tell you to go to those cag meetings too but they may also have more specific things in mind cool uh support organizations um that that, that support cleanup uh tell your local elected officials that you support it have a long-range vision um for what this community uh, can benefit from with five hours a month, it's easy to write a letter to the editor. It's easy to write a letter to EPA. 
to the project manager. It's easy to get yourself educated on the site. Float the river. Check it out for yourselves. For yourselves. I mean, there's nothing like the experiential moment um, to really trigger some activism. Yeah. Um, so with five hours, there's lots that can be done. We need our communities to make this a thing. Yeah. Clean up Smurf it now needs to be a thing if we're going to get the attention of EPA and the PRPs. And finally, if completed, what opportunities await Missoula and Western Montana on this space? Well, ideally, what we would like to see, and it's it, and it's at this part's pretty easy to envision because upstream and down upstream of the site, you see what it could look like. If you've, I think you've floated this site, there is a really beautiful riparian zone, both upstream and downstream of the site. That section of the Clark Fork is, is kind of a sleeper. I think a lot of Missoulians don't know about how beautiful it is. But really mature cottonwood galleries, a lot of wildlife, a lot of bird life, um, a floodplain that is active during high water, working as a floodplain should to dissipate energy, to absorb um, nutrients, to take on sediment. Um, and then um, beyond that active floodplain area in the upper, higher, and drier areas, you know, I think there's great opportunities out there to bring some economic activity back to Frenchtown. Again, that mill site was kind of the lifeblood of the community economically uh, when it was operational, and there's plenty of room. That's one great thing about a big site. There's plenty of room for both out there so that we can have a restored natural area where it should be along the restored floodplain of the Clark Fork, healthy riparian areas, and then a reasonable distance set back where, we're, again, we're out of the harm's way of the river. Let's have some economic redevelopment as well. The floodplain, which is something that right now is consists of 900 acres of settling ponds that are saturated in industrial toxins, the floodplain needs to get reconnected to the Clark Fork River. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, those settling ponds sit on top of old historic river channels. So that's where the river needs to go to release flood energy, um, to create habitats. Um, you know, rich repairing habitat filters pollution and provides all kinds of habitat and sustenance for critters, for birds and wildlife and our charismatic megafauna. Yeah. provides shade for the river. So, oh my goodness, yeah, if we could just get that floodplain area, which is about 1,700 acres, I believe, get that cleaned up and reconnected, um, open up some channels, get some tributary creeks moving into the Clark Fork again, that would be an amazing conservation slam dunk. And as far as the rest of the site, um, you know, there's I mentioned this 140-acre hotspot where there's these unlined, uncertified landfills and sludge ponds. We just need to get that stuff cleaned up right away. And that's kind of more in the industrial footprint. Um, but let's clean all that up too. And then, you know, it's time for the community to decide what do we want this area to look like? Um, I mean, I think it's just a no-brainer that the conservation lands are the floodplain. Restore those and let wild nature return yeah but then in the other remaining thousand acres let's do some interesting development some yeah. you know it could be an interesting mix of some sustainable residential development with some sustainable um, industry focused on renewables I mean sky's the limit and that's certainly not necessarily my expertise but for sure there's enough land out there to just get a big one done in terms of benefits for the river, for nature, for people, yeah. um, for our, our culture. 
This has been Toxic, a podcast by Clark Fork Coalition in collaboration with Pintler Group right here in Missoula, Montana. Thank you for listening. We hope you learned something, and most of all, we hope you'll help us take action. Three things you can do that take even less than 10 minutes. Contact the EPA, sign our letter of support, and engage with this campaign. Visit clarkfork.org to take action. Again, that's clarkfork.org. Let's clean Smurf it now.